Welcome to an exclusive recording of the Shepherd's Path, the Seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, taught by Sheikh Muhammad al-Sharif rahimahullah, in July of 2008. This episode is brought to you by Faith Essentials, everything you need to know about Islam in one place with over 30 high-quality on-demand courses, live Q&A, sessions with your favorite instructors, and more. Faith Essentials is the one-stop portal for every Muslim. Faith Essentials breaks down the core aspects of your deen into bite-sized lessons and concise modules you can complete in a single commute. Nothing complicated, just the essentials. One of the approaches of seerah, like I said, if you wanted to complicate it, you could approach the seerah from a refutations type of seerah, which is, oh, you know, the Orientalist said this, and oh, you know, this person said that. And I totally don't like that approach for myself. And so, like, I'd be in the middle of a seerah, and then right in the middle, I'd tell you, you know, Kafir so-and-so uh, attacked the Prophet. I'm like, why? Right? And why give that person a podium like this to spread, you know, kind of like that falsehood and so on and so forth. So my approach totally is not in a refutations type of seerah, or, you know, bringing up theories of Orientalists and so on and so forth. During the class, inshallah ta'ala, I definitely would like you to take notes. Definitely like you to take notes. Even if you're like, you know what, you're not writing down the notes uh, specifically, but you would be doing, for example, you know, writing down your reflections or things that you heard or so on and so forth. I don't think you're memorizing everything. And so during the Al-Maghrib Institute classes, we put all this information in two weekends so that when you come to the exam, when you come to the exam, that inshallah ta'ala you get that opportunity to review the information and look it over again and then write it and so on and so forth in the exam so that you can truly benefit and make this part of your knowledge that's at your hands. A lot of times people they listen to like khatiras and lectures and so on and so forth and they're never writing anything down, correct? I'm sure you've seen this. They're everybody just sitting around and nobody's writing anything down. Then later on when you need to explain something about Islam, you're going like this. Um, um, I don't know, um, I think it's a hadith. No, no, wait, it might be a verse of Quran. Do you guys do that? Okay, and so instead of, and one brother you know, praised this and he said it's like unconscious knowledge. <laughs> and I said, how about conscious knowledge? Where you actually know what you're talking about. And so what's gonna make the difference is that is having a different attitude in the class and that is taking notes. So you have your binders with you, you can follow along, it doesn't have you know, great detail and that's on purpose so that you have to put in your, you have to use your brain. I'm not going to just write out a seerah book, you can get Rahiq al-Makhtoum and just bring it with you to class, it's like, you know, you have it there. That's not my intention, the intention is to give you kind of like just a framework in your notebooks that you can follow along what I'm talking about, inshallah ta'ala. There will be, you know, maybe there's a story in the seerah that you love very much and then I come to a point where I should have mentioned it and I didn't and then you're like very sad that I didn't mention it. The purpose is not to tell you every single story that happened in the seerah. The purpose is to give you like the framework A to Z of what happened in the seerah so that when you go back to the seerah books, you'll recognize something that I mentioned and then the next paragraph in the seerah book will mention something that I didn't mention which will, you know, it'll give you like a foundation so that you can launch from there and, and study more inshallah ta'ala and learn more. There's going to be a topic that you're going to be presenting for next weekend inshallah ta'ala. So the four topics are, if you want to write it down, is it in your binder? Is it towards the back, four topics? Okay, so the four topics are these, if you want to write it down. Number one is the Sahaba educational system. 
Sahaba educational system. So this is giving you a glimpse of different vantages, vantage points of the seerah. So the Sahaba educational system, for example, is a topic that some of you are going to be preparing. Secondly, um, the role of women in the seerah. The role of women in the seerah. Thirdly, the economic structure of the Medinan society. Economic structure, how do they conduct their business? And the fourth topic is, how was the message of Islam spread? How was the message of Islam spread? So um, we'll have more details on that, inshallah ta'ala. We'll be breaking into groups of four, and in that group of four, each of the people in the group of four is going to choose a topic of these four topics, and then during the weekdays, they're going to pre prepare those topics, and then come next weekend, inshallah ta'ala, they're going to present a vantage point of the seerah so that you will get a glimpse of what it feels like to take one topic of the seerah and just come from that angle, right? The binder, if somebody could just pass me the binder. A binder. I've organized um, the table of contents in a unique way that has never been done before, right? And this basically is the story. These, like, anytime there's like an epic story, right? Whenever they say an epic journey, an epic story, it will always have these components. And so what I did is I took these components, and as like a foundation, I tried to plug the seerah in a way where you could understand it from these angles. So firstly, in an epic story, there is a desire, a desire to do something, or a desire a person has, okay? And so what was the desire of Ibrahim alayhi salam? What was the desire of the Prophet sallallahu Secondly, then there's a problem that needs to be solved. So if you're looking like an epic story, there's some problem that needs to be solved. Sometimes I'm reading a book, and they're like, someone got killed at the beginning of the book. And I realize that this is the problem that the next 500 pages of the book we're going to be solving. Who killed this fictitious person? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> I don't care who killed this fictitious person. Right? So what is the problem? And then after that, once the problem, you know, the person, you know, this is the problem, this is what their life is about, this is what their purpose in life is, then they have opponents. And their opponents are going to be external and internal, right? So they themselves internally will have reservations and beliefs that are like holding them back, stuff like that. Or they might have people externally or maybe from intimate family members and so on. You'd have Nuh salam, his own son not believing in him. Uh, Lut salam, his own wife, and so on, and plus the, the other people. So then there's the opponents. How does the, uh, the, the da'i, the prophet, take on these opponents? That's the plan. So there's an approach. So like, what was methodology? How did the plan? And then you'll see, after the plan, in an epic story, usually it's not like, this is the plan, and then you pass, and then end of story. Correct? You will always get to a point, about three quarters in a movie or something like that, when everything fails. It will always happen. It's like everything that they plan for, everything fails. So it's like the plan fails. And I put a question mark because the plan doesn't fail. That's just part of the plan. <laughs> Allah's plan. Allah's plan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests us. And what you set out to do, you might think, oh, this is it. And then things don't work out. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might be um, uh, planning for you for something better. And that what you learn in the hard times is actually lessons that make you stronger, make you better prepared for what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared for you. And then you have the next section, which is self-revelation, where a person, you know, you have equilibrium, the battle of Al-Ahzab, the battle of Hudaybiyah, the treaty of Hudaybiyah, sorry. 
and then equilibrium at the end, which is um, towards the end of our class, which is everything comes together, the nations enter into Islam, farewell Hajj in the last days of the Prophet So that's the table of contents. That's how we're going to approach it. So sometimes I'm not necessarily going to go chronological order. Probably by about Sunday, this Sunday, I'll start going chronological. But before that, like Saturday, um, Saturday, I might be jumping around when I'm explaining the opponents. Because the opponents were not necessarily just in Mecca. There's opponents in Medina and there's you know, different beliefs throughout. So to explain the opponents and the strategy, there's more to it than just the Meccan phase. Wallahu Okay, there's three levels of benefit. Three levels of benefit. I may have mentioned this in the Tafsir Surah Al-Baqarah class. Okay, so when it comes to um, benefiting, intellectual is the first one. Usually people, they come into a class, they, um, information comes into their mind intellectually, right? So they'll, they'll be taking notes, they'll spend like hours and hours and hours and stuff like that. But then you look at their lives afterwards and nothing has changed. A great example of that is a Jummah Khutbah, right? You'd have 500 people at Jummah Khutbah. The Imam says something amazing about changing the lives of the Ummah. And it's so brilliant. Everybody walks out and nobody does anything. And nobody even remembers what he said. What happened there? Even though it was a brilliant khutbah, people were like, how is the khutbah? It was brilliant. That's it. It was just intellectual. Meaning information was processed intellectually and it stopped there. And if that's the case, then may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from that. You're talking about a, a nation that's in big trouble. If the information is said to them and they don't implement it, then they're in big trouble. The Prophet used to seek refuge in that. He'd say, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min ilmin la yanfa'. O Allah, I seek your protection from knowledge which brings no benefit. Which knowledge that brings no benefit. SubhanAllah, it's... Um, how many people saw like the conversations in, in Hellfire thing that I did online? In that, in, in that halaqa that I did, it was interesting that one of the key things that the angels, the gatekeepers of Hellfire, say to the people as they enter Hellfire, what was the key thing? What's the key thing? I need it a little louder, yes? Didn't a warner come to you? Alam yatikum nadir. You see that in multiple parts in the Quran. And I thought to myself, how many people are going to be entering Hellfire? Okay, you're talking about like millions, billions, whatever. How many times are the angels going to say that? Like millions of times. Like every time people of hellfire come in, they're like, Alam yatikum nadir? Alam yatikum nadir? Didn't a warner come to you? Didn't a warner come to you? Didn't somebody tell you? Didn't you weren't you told about this? And it's like it's like humiliation for them. Weren't you told intellectually about? Weren't you told it all it happened was intellectually? Yes, intellectually we knew about hellfire. But it was not an emotional attachment to that information, nor did it translate into physical change in our lives. So if you write this information down and you don't implement it, it's going to testify against you on the Day of Judgment. And it will be said to you, <laughs> may Allah protect you, didn't you attend in a Maghrib class? <laughs> Allah protect you, may Allah protect me. Now, someone will say, man, I shouldn't have come to this Maghrib Because <laughs> if I don't take the knowledge, then, you know, somehow I will be saved. Which is not the case, by the way. Because everybody has had the warner come to them. 
whether they come to a class like this or they don't, whether they go to Jama Khutbah or they, they don't go to it, the warner comes to everybody. There's always a warner. Nobody goes through their lives that doesn't come in contact with a warner. Someone will say, oh, I'm just going to close my ears throughout my whole life. Hopefully no warner will ever say anything so that I'll have an excuse, which is not happening, which is not happening. There was, um, someone said to me, they're like, Muhammad, you're half of the Quran. They're like, you know what? If you don't practice what you learned, then you're in big trouble. And I said to them in response, what did I say? And I'm like, and if you don't learn the Quran and practice it, you're in big trouble too. <laughs> because whether someone's hafidh or they're not hafidh, we're all required to follow what's in the Quran. If you choose to be ignorant, then you're responsible for that. The Prophet said, Talabul ilmi faridatun ala kulli Muslim. Seeking knowledge is fard on every Muslim. What does fard mean? Susceptible to punishment if not done. So if someone does it, not saying that they have to take an al-Maghrib class, but if they consistently avoid studying the deen, they are committing a sin for that. If they consistently turn their back at every opportunity and still make the mistakes, of course, they're just going to fall in the pits because they haven't learned that ignorance they will be held accountable for not studying the deen. May Allah protect us. So then after intellectual, then there's the emotional where a person gathers the information and now they have an emotional attachment to it. Maybe they become sad or they become happy or, you know, there's an emotional attachment to this information. Yes, I agree with what he's saying. You know, there's an emotional attachment to it. The, a beautiful hadith about this one, um, the Prophet said, of those who get shade on the day of resurrection is a person who remembers Allah in private, and his eyes well up with tears in remembrance of Allah in private. Nobody sees the person. He remembers something intellectually and leads him to an emotional connection to what he had learned intellectually. There is an emotional connection. Crying is not good enough. It needs to lead to action. So when you learn something, you learn the khuluq of the Prophet ﷺ. It has to become physical. You actually have changed your lives. So it's not this, yes, it was a nice lecture, yes, oh, you know, we cried here and there. But there's a physical difference. A person will say, you know, you're different. Something seems different. So I was doing an event. There's a, a, a brother. He um, attended this, this event in Toronto. And then I, I did the same event in Ottawa, and he had come with like eight other brothers. And I asked everybody, at the beginning of this event, I was asking everybody, why did you come, why did you come? And each of those eight other brothers that came, each one of them said, I came because I saw the physical changes in this other brother. Second guy stood up, why did you come? He said, same thing, I saw the physical changes in this other brother. Third person, why did you come? Because of the physical changes in this brother. Meaning that, and, and that brother, when I asked him, what happened to you after that other event? He said, like, you know, his whole life, probably in one week after that event, he had done more than he had done in his whole life. And they saw the physical change. Now, do you think it would be easy to give dawah if when we learn something, it went physical? Be very easy, right? As Aisha radiallahu said, kana khuluqul Qur'an, his khuluq was the Qur'an. Meaning you learn something and it becomes physical. In Ramadan time, when we're hearing the Qur'an, is the Qur'an commandments entering our brains? Under which category? You know, it's not even intellectual. Because you don't even understand what the Qur'an is being, what's being said. And so if you don't understand, there's no emotional, there might be like an emotional attachment to Ramadan and the person is imagining possibly what the imam is saying, you know, in his dua and his recitation and so on and so forth. But there's, 
rarely is there like this physical um, reality to learning these things. Inshallah ta'ala, I'm saying all of this so that you can aim for the physical. You can aim for the physical, even if you learn less, but it's physical, there's much more barakah in it than the person who knows so much knowledge, yet does nothing with that knowledge. Right? As one of the scholars said, someone came to a scholar and they said, so-and-so has memorized Sahih al-Bukhari. And then the scholar said, Alhamdulillah, we have another copy of Sahih al-Bukhari in town. So now, because just the mere intellectual memorization of Bukhari doesn't make a person, right? So what the scholars say, not belittling, yes, he memorized the hadith of the Prophet he has Bukhari, but what will make a difference is if he physically implements what he learned. He's teaching it and living you know, by the examples and so on and so forth, then something else has changed. The other thing I wrote here, just as a, I said, know thy destination, know your destination. What that means is that here in this class, what are you actually trying to achieve? And you might say, I never really thought about it. <laughs> if you don't know your destination, you're not getting there. If you, and that's a law of life. If you don't know where you're going, which, then your destination becomes nowhere. And so you're just going for a ride. And so you'll see there will be a difference. You know, let's say there's a student who's sitting at the front who came early and is writing everything. If you ask them, what's your destination? They'll say, I'm going to get 110% in this course. They know exactly, you know, it, they have a goal. They have their aim. They know what they're here for. Their actions are reflecting it. Correct? And if someone is not planning to come to the exam, I can tell right away whether they're planning to come to the exam or not. How would I know? By their actions. They'll come in late for class. They won't write any notes. You know, it's just because, and so even though you're all here in the class, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward all of you, you're still not at the same level inside the class. And so I would take it upon a challenge to challenge each other. And this is the beautiful thing about taking notes, is you become an example for other people. If you've ever, you know, you're sitting beside someone, and all of a sudden they start writing, and you're like, what did the sheikh say? Let, let me write something too. <laughs> right? You just start writing, because, and, and here's a technique. Is, how many people are here to learn teaching techniques? How many people are here to learn teaching techniques? Raise your hand a little bit more. If you know, there's not too many, I won't tell you. Okay, there's not too many. <laughs> here's a teaching technique. Write this down. That's a teaching technique right there. <laughs> so if you want people to write things down, just tell them write this down. And they don't care what you say, they're going to write it down because you told them to write it down. Okay, the outcome of this seminar, inshallah ta'ala, the seerah, what I hope for you is that third physical level. You know what? If you failed your exam, I actually don't care. But if you fail to implement what you learn, that's what I care about. Because right? the exam, as our teachers would tell us, you can take an exam again. Maybe I didn't write the question properly, you know, or you know, something you didn't write. You know. It's not that big a deal. Obviously, the exam is for your benefit. And I'm saying take the exam definitely. But ultimately, the outcome is that what you learn in the class becomes your reality. You change your life. You hear the seerah of the Prophet his life and character and how he treated people and so on and so forth, how he stood up for the truth, how his whole desire in life was the guidance of humanity, that hopefully, inshallah ta'ala, you come out of the class taking on that responsibility. Taking on that responsibility. I was thinking about something today. You know, like here, I come, from, I come to the airport, and let's suppose there are certain people, they're like, okay, 
I'm not saying about anybody picking me up and so on and so forth, but there will be people that are like, you know, can you pick up, you know, uh, Brother Muhammad from the airport? They're like, you know what, I'm a little busy, I can't make it. Okay, great. And then the, and then the person might call someone else, can you pick up Brother Muhammad from the airport? Or, you know what, I might come a little bit, so on and so forth. But there is a person that if everybody else says no, there's a person that no matter what, they will do it. Do you know what I'm saying? There's something deeper that they don't let go of responsibility. That in the end, it's like the last man back. That there's nobody behind this person. They've got, you know, they're holding fort. That if everything was to collapse and everybody, no one would volunteer, no one would help and so on and so forth, they would still stand up for the responsibility. This is the example of the Prophet Last man back, he will always stand up for the responsibility. The question is, will you stand up with him and stand up for this deen? And be, you know, stand up and be counted for and do something beautiful for this deen, for your life and for this deen, or will you just be like, just like everybody else? And so either way, a person's either doing something great for this deen or they're just like, you know what, they're just one of the people and so on and so forth. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make all of you from those who can stand up and be counted for. All right, where do you get the seerah from? These are like the books where they come from. Obviously from the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will explain seerah in the Qur'an. Also, you will find the seerah mentioned in the books of hadith. As well, there's a book, uh, they're called Kutub al-Dala'il. Dala'il is the book. You don't really have to write in Arabic if you want. Dala'il is the book, uh, the types of books. And those are like proofs of messengership of the Prophet those type of seerah books. You'll also have books of shama'il. Shama'il are books where they're detailing uh, what the Prophet looked like, what he ate, what he wore, things like that, how he walked, how he dressed, things like that. They're called Shama'il. Very famous book of Shama'il is uh, uh, by Imam al-Tirmidhi, rahimahullah, Shama'il al-Tirmidhi. And some of them are translated into English as well. If you go into an English bookshop, usually you can find a book on Shama'il. Shama'il, they're very interesting books to read. And then there's books of Sirah, like Sirah ibn Hisham, that are just like Sira books. And then Sira books might take different approaches. Some of them are just narrating like the events, right? Some of them might take specific angles, but you'll actually find that those who take specific angles of the Sira, you might have, find difficulty finding books like that. A lot of the Sira books in the Sira section are usually just, you know, chronological, this is what happened, this is what happened, and so on and so forth. When you're looking for vantage points, of the seerah, you probably have to go into other sections of the library. So for example, like women, the women in the seerah, right? That's one of the topics that you have to do. Where would you find a book like that? If you went into the seerah section, you might not find a book like that. You might go into, you know, women in Islam issues, and then there's a book called, you know, the female companions of the Prophet And where, you know, how do they become companions? They live the seerah, so you have to like be a little bit more flexible in finding books like that. And then you have books of maghazi, Maghazi means battles. So there's books dedicated to the battles of the Prophet A lot of times the seerah is focused on the battles. And of course there's much more to the seerah. The battles, yes, and there's more to it than that. So a lot of times when you, you know, we're doing battles, and we're going to do the battles here because they're so cool. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. But in addition to that, there's strategies, there's you know, community development, there's a lot of different things that you can keep, as I said, keep going back again and again and again. Uh, to the seerah to find this out. Books of history in general. Books of history in general. 
So you have a book like Imam Al-Tabari, Rahimahullah, has a book on history. Imam Ibn Kathir, Rahimahullah, has a book on history as well. And then in those history, they're like going through like all of humanity history and so on. And then there will be the seerah section of those general history books. Some of the key books that are used in, in this course, and it's in English, is Ar-Rahiq Al-Makhtoom, right? The Sealed Nectar, which I think is very widely available uh, by Mubarak Furi. The Sealed Nectar. Sira Ibn Hisham, which many of you might be familiar with. It's a very famous uh, Sira book, Sira Ibn Hisham. And there's another book, which when I prepared this class, I was using the Arabic, but alhamdulillah, I'm very happy to find out that it was translated as well. So it's one of the most amazing Sira books that you'd find. It's called um, Sira Nabawiyah by As-Sallabi. As-Sallabi is his name. All right? Allahumma allimna ma yanfa'na wa bima allamtana wa zidna ilma. Any questions about that? Questions? We're going to be breaking from Maghrib in about three minutes. I can take like one question. Yes? Okay, so the question is, um, out of the books that I mentioned, which one would I recommend to give to a non-Muslim? I would actually recommend that you give a non-Muslim like a CD. Right? So a person might say, here, read this, read this. A lot of times people, they don't read. Right? And so you might have more success by giving, like using a different multimedia type of uh, presentation, right? So that could be, it might be a YouTube video or it might be like an audio CD as a gift or something like that. And then that, you know, if they, if they used it, it's like a small step, they just plug it into their car. And then after that, if they enjoyed it, then they can move on to say reading books or so on and so forth. But you wanna look at, does this person watch TV 24 seven and you're gonna give them a book? So it'd be better that you give them something that they can watch.